Well, as I mentioned before, we're in this series where we're looking at the things that we do and the things that are left undone, uh, and we're exploring that they really matter. As I mentioned in my, as I was just praying there, just the, the thought in my heart is that, that when we live according to the vices, we're actually missing life that God intended for us to have, and he wants better for us. And the consequences go beyond just the loss of what we could have had. The consequences are great for the people around us. It affects our marriages. It affects our, our families. It affects the places of our work. It affects our communities in which we live. It affects the society of which we're a part. It matters. And so this week and next, I'm going to be looking at greed and generosity. And uh, I, I venture to guess that a number of you, when you heard today's uh, topic was greed, you went, phew, okay, good. We can kind of take a week off. I'll kind of listen in, and, uh, and we won't have those little twinges of greed, because after all, I'm not a greedy person. Um, I'm glad if that's true, but uh, since you're here, um, let's go ahead and uh, take a look at that today. You see, greed is not something that most people think they have. We, we know it exists, but we see it as out there someplace for where the, the really rich folks or perhaps the really wannabe rich folks, um, they struggle with this. We have this kind of in the realm of that TV show, American Greed. Ever see that one on the MSNBC channel, I believe? where these fascinating stories of just intrigue and just greed that kind of makes your head go, you know, oh my goodness, look at that greed. You see, I've, I've been uh, leading, one of the things I just enjoy doing is working with leaders in particular, guys um, with a focus of, of trying to figure out how we live out our faith in the marketplace and in our marriages and families. And so for 10 years, I've had this group and people cycle through. And, and I went back and looked at the roster. And over the years, I've had almost 100 guys come through this group. Um, and it's pretty fun. And I've got a group of about 10 or 12 guys that uh, we're meeting regularly uh, right now. One of the things that we do in this group is we try to get to the point of trust in our relationship where we can be real with one another, start taking off the mask, and talk about what's really going on in our lives. And so from time to time, guys will ask for time and say, hey, guys, you know, I I'm, I'm struggling with anger issues. Issues like diligence issues or workaholism issues have come up. Substance Abuse issues have been brought up in the group. Relational issues, lust issues. And so all these different things that come up in group, and we want to talk about them because it's a safe place to do that. Not once in 10 years have I had a guy come in and say, Jeff, I need some time. I'm just discovering what a greedy son of a gun I really am. Not once in 10 years. And I know for a fact that 80 of them are really greedy guys. <laughs> Why is that? Why would people not identify with greed? Well, you see, greed is sneaky. It's sneaky. It likes to hide behind a virtue. Greed is like that. All right, one of my least favorite jobs is pulling weeds in the mulch beds around the house. So we moved to Lake Nona years ago, and uh, one of the things I like about where we moved to is the plot for the house is super, super small. The previous house I had, we had way too much lawn. It was on one of those weird kind of plots of land that just we ended up with a lot of grass, which is rare in Florida. Well, this one takes me less than five minutes to mow the strip of grass in front of my house. That's it. All right, this is great. But the weeds, on the other hand, that's a different story. 
right? I don't like this job because there's mulch beds all the way around the house, all the way around the garage, and, and they like to grow. And so I've kind of turned this least favorite job into a little bit of, it's fascinated me uh, the more that I do it. You see, there's two types of weeds generally that I run into. One are those in your face out there weeds that their strategy is we're just going to multiply and we're going to multiply so fast that you're going to have trouble keeping up because inevitably you're going to miss a Saturday and, and next week we'll be back in abundance. All right. There's those kind of weeds. Then there's the sneaky weeds, the weeds that get underneath the viburnum or inside the grasses or inside the flowers that Jill has planted. And what's fascinating to me is sometimes they even sort of look like the plant that they're hosting in. It's, and it's not just a seedling of that plant. I know the difference, all right? Um, and it's like, ah, those super sneaky spy weeds. And I get a kick out of pulling them out. I got you. <laughs> uh, you know, and then next week, one was there that I missed. And it's like, ah. Well, greed is sneaky like this. Greed sounds like, or may sound like, I'm a frugal person. I've learned uh, the 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 virtue of stewardship. I'm just really good with the limited resources that I have. And doesn't the Bible say, after all, that a person who's a good steward, that, that's a really good thing. The Bible praises that, right? It may sound like I'm a responsible saver. I've learned Thankfully, the God-honoring virtue of saving at a young age, and I went to the FPU class, and I've learned about the power of compounding, and, and you know what? I'm not going to be a burden to my kids. In my old age, I, I've got this one down, and guess what? The Bible says saving is a virtue. That's a good thing. All right? It might sound like I'm just a hard worker. I was taught at a young age that I'm going to work hard, and, and I'm going to provide for my own needs, Right? And so, again, we see that in the scripture. Working hard is a virtue. Meeting your own needs is something that the Bible encourages. So what looks like a virtue may indeed be a virtue, but in reality, it may be motivated by greed. That may be the weed. And it's far more common than what you and I might think. We live in a society this is now master of the obvious here, driven by money. Constantly we're bombarded with the idea that we need to earn more, have more, buy more, get better, indulge in that great experience, have a lavish vacation, more, more, more. You deserve this. And then it's all played out for everybody to see, our houses, our cars, our toys, our experiences on social media for the world to see. And you see, underneath this, greedy people have this supersized need for ownership and too much of themselves, their mood, their identity, and even their self-worth is tied to stuff. You see, greed is not a money issue. I've seen greedy people that are poor, and I've seen greedy people that are wealthy. Greed is an issue of the heart. Greed is right down there at the core of our being. And the Bible says that it is the number one thing that will compete for our worship and trust in God. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. This is the number one competitor. So greed is not just out there for the other guy to be struggling with. 
It's something that we're all susceptible to. And so, can I invite you to do a little self-assessment? Because greed can take up in the residence in the heart and go undetected for some time. But the people around you, they'll be able to detect it. You see, greedy people talk a lot and worry a lot about money. They're not cheerful givers. Greedy people are reluctant to share. All right? People who are greedy quibble over insignificant sums of money, and when the check comes, they get alligator arms. Greedy people talk as they just just have enough to get by. And they're not content. They're not content at all with what they have. Some greedy people will try to control other people with their money. And the underlying assumption is it is all for my consumption. That's the heart of greed. Now, since we live in this modern society, as I mentioned, driven by finances, I think the Florida weed analogy is a really powerful one because Florida is the perfect environment for weeds, right? It's hot and it's moist and it's damp and it just, they grow year round. Well, the financial society in which we live is Florida for greed. You with me? I mean, it's perfect conditions to spawn this insidious weed in all of our hearts. And you see, the reason is, 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 man, if you don't have money, you feel it. Some of you I know are living paycheck to paycheck, and it just is in your face every day. It's all-consuming. And others, I would venture to guess, if you feel like you're not living paycheck to paycheck, you're worried about retirement. Am I on track to have enough to, to be there? For some of you, you might think, well, maybe I'm pretty close to being there. But now your worry is, what about the next market downturn? How do I manage that? Am I, is my portfolio distributed properly? Do I have enough in bonds? Do I have enough love in treasuries? And oh my goodness, the stock market's so high, is it going to crash? And so we have this worry hanging over our head. And when God is not in the picture, we're all susceptible to greed. Every single one of us. It's the environment in which we live. During this series, you're going to hear quite frequently that these vices, these sins that we're talking about are often a wrong response to a God-given desire. A wrong response to a God-given desire. And I would like to share this morning that I think greed is the wrong response to three God-given desires. First is our deep desire and need for security, for security. Greed is also the wrong response to our God-given desire for significance. And then finally, this one's a little less obvious, but it's going to be fun to talk about. Greed is our wrong response to a God-given desire for worship. You are hardwired for worship, and greed is the number one competitor for worship. So I'd like to look at Luke chapter 12, verses 15 to 21. I believe that's in your bulletins this, this morning. If not, you can look in your Bible or pull it up on your cell phone. Let's look at a parable that uh, Jesus talks about greed. Luke 12, 15 to 21. And here we're going to understand how this God-given desire goes awry uh, in the area of security and significance. Let's start in verse 15. Then Jesus said to them, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Doesn't everybody know that? Life is more than stuff. Well, you'd hope so. But the truth is, again, in this society in which we live, stuff defines life for so many people. Just not too long ago, um, I, I saw 
kind of a link come up for an article in the Wall Street Journal. And the article was on watch etiquette. Watch etiquette. And evidently on Wall Street, it's a common thing for a lot of these Wall Street executives to have very flamboyant, expensive watches. And so the entire article was strategies for which watch to wear when. And I had to stop and say, is this satire? Is this real? Is this a joke? No, they were deadly serious. And so you wear the $50,000 Rolex, or more expensive, you wear that when you want to signify power, that I'm kind of the alpha in the room. And look at me, look what my wealth can do. But there's certain times you don't want to wear that 50,000 watch. You pull out the $10,000 cheapo. as if there is such a thing, right? And that's the watch that you wear when you're in a sales presentation. Because after all, you don't want the prospective client thinking that you might be price gouging them. My goodness, you couldn't leave that impression by any stretch of the means. And so there's this strategy that they were talking about for wearing watches. Are you kidding me? The clear message is you are what you wear, all right? I'd say Jesus saw things a little differently, wouldn't you? Life does not consist of the abundance of your possessions. He goes on to share the parable of this insidious weed of the heart called greed. Verse 16, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now, did you notice that he said the ground did this? In an agrarian society, it would be obvious that the ground is that which produces the crop. Sure, this man did what he was supposed to do in prepping the farmland, but there was just one of those years, this year it all came together. The rains came in the right amount, they came at the right time, there were no plagues that hit the crop, there was no adverse weather conditions that took things out, and and he had this mega crop that made him an instant millionaire. And, And he's saying, You know, the man's response, I think, is really, really indicative about clues about a greedy heart. Because his self-talk is, look at how my hard work gave me the competitive edge, right? His ego has kicked in, which stands for edging God out. And so a greedy heart doesn't think about God. It wants all the credit. And then the man asks himself what seems like a normal question, but we see again an insight about greed. God is not in the picture in his question. Verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Seems like the right question. It seems very natural. I might even ask that question because in our society, we're taught as soon as I make a little bit more, boom, I fill it up with more ideas of what I can do. As soon as I get a little bit, oh, I got a bonus, boom, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy the boat. Here, you know, and so we constantly are filling it up. As soon as we get more, we've got this plan for, for doing more with it. All right? But the question he should be asking is, what does God want me to do with the extra? But God is nowhere in the picture because this guy is not thinking about God. Verse 18, then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And then I can store my surplus of grain. And so he decides the solution is more, better, bigger barns. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? We live in an age of bigger barns, wouldn't you agree? Let's just build more. Let's just have more capacity. But interestingly enough, this was kind of a bigger craze, it seemed like, last year and a couple of years prior. Uh, maybe you're encountering it. Anybody here of Mari? 
Anybody know what KonMari is? All right. Some of the people are, are shaking their heads. All right. So KonMari was this craze that came out. Uh, a lady wrote a book. And the whole idea behind the book is this, is you've accumulated so much stuff that it's causing stress in your life. And so this book is all about how to declutter to bring joy to your life. And so the idea is you go through um, your clothes closet and you dump the stuff you're no longer using and no longer brings you joy. You even have a little kind of memory. You might even thank that pair of jeans that you used to be able to get into and you enjoyed, but now you're going to let it go. Right? And so you go through your storage areas and your books and your cabinets and your filing cabinets and your garage, and you get rid of things. For some of you, you even have to find the key to that storage unit that's housing all the stuff that isn't important enough to have at your house. All right? But you've got there and you're paying a bill every month to go do that, and you kind of go through all your things. And so we live in a society of virtually unlimited material possession, and now we need books and training to teach us how to get rid of it. <laughs> it's amazing. If stuff is what defines you, you're going to feel insecure unless you build bigger barns. And so that's what we do. And this is exactly what this guy is doing. Verse 19, he says, I'll say to myself, now that I've built the bigger barns, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And see, now we get to the inner workings of greed. All right, there's two things here. Remember I said greed is the wrong response for our desire for security? Well, that's what the first part of this verse addresses. The man who believes that his stuff is going to make him secure will boast, I have plenty set aside for many years. Underneath this, there's a fear. The fear is this, God won't take care of me. God isn't big enough to take care of me. And at the heart level, this person has transferred their trust to their stuff. All the while, if you do that, you'll never be free of worry. Is it enough? What about a recession? What about a stock market crash? What about a housing crash? What about the things outside of my control? Nagging in the back of your mind. And what greed attacks is it chokes out your trust in God. And it replaces it with this kind of seeming virtue that I've provided for myself with good stewardship. So it's the wrong response to our desire for security. It's also the wrong response for our desire for significance. Here we see this man saying, now I can take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. The person for security, if that's their need, they're going to hoard stuff. The person who's meeting their need for significance through stuff is going to flaunt it. Look what I've got. Look what I've done. Look at all of the things that, that I have. This is exhibit A, that I mean something, that I'm an important person, that I'm wearing the watch that everybody else wishes they had. And so they tell themselves they're worthy. It's just a house of cards. We live in financial uncertain times. And when your self-worth is tied to your net worth, you will always be vulnerable, always. There's no escaping it. The man in the story thinks he's set for the rest of the life, but the problem is he didn't have much life left. You see, he fell into the, the, the problem where just as he overlooked the God factor in his good fortune, he overlooked the God factor and how much life that he had left. You see, he assumed the abundance of his stuff meant that he'd have more time. But the two have nothing to do with one another, absolutely nothing. 
and he's going to run out of time before he runs out of material possessions. Verse 20, God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded you, and then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? You see, he's going to meet an untimely death this very evening. He didn't need bigger barns. He needed more of God. And his stuff is now going to be transferred to someone else because the old adage is true, you can't take it with you. Jesus closes the parable with this in verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Do you see Jesus' definition of a greedy person? Someone who stores up things for himself but isn't rich towards God. Rich towards God is Jesus speak for being generous to people of need, being generous to his kingdom. That's Jesus speak for what being rich towards God is. A greedy person saves carefully, but gives sparingly, if at all. And the moral of this story is if your desire to hoard and to to accumulate stuff outpaces your desire to give, in the end, you will suffer complete and total loss. It's a hard message, but it's a message that we need to hear because this robs us of something so precious. Remember, greed is desire gone awry. We're fulfilling it the wrong way. And, and I think the most important part here is that greed is the wrong response for our desire to worship. It attacks the very core of our relationship with God. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3.5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. You'll recall that idolatry is the worship of someone or something other than God. And whether you realize it or not, and as soon as you realize this, this is a game changer, you were designed for worship. You as a creature, as a being, you were designed for God, and you were designed to worship him. That's what we're for. And so when we hear the world word idolatry in our modern, sophisticated society, we tend to scoff at that. It brings up images, this word of, you know, people in some uh, tribal situation where they've created these wood figurines that they now call their god, and they bow down and worship to uh, idols of their own fashion and their own making. And so we write it off in our modern society as idolatry now. That, that doesn't affect us but we're just as idolatry, perhaps even more so. We've just gotten really sophisticated in the way we go about it. We tend to worship things like our extravagant experiences and our vacations and our possessions and our accomplishments, our finances. Our society worships at the altar of money and sex and power. And we're just as idolatrous as these undeveloped peoples. Ours are just more sophisticated. Can't help but worship you guys. It's what we're made for. And do you see how greed is so insidious? It attacks the very thing that you and I were created for and replaces it with something that is just a puny God. And it'll never bring what your soul is longing for, ever. I get why it happens that the human condition since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden and sin entered into the world, it's we've been on a quest to live independent from God, but that independence comes at great consequence and great tragedy, and that consequence is this, is you miss God. You miss fellowship with God. You miss relationship with God. You miss worship with God, the very thing you were created to be. 
Now, I know this relationship with God is not for the faint of heart. He's finite, we are finite, and he is infinite. He is totally holy, terrifyingly so. And we are human, and we have weakness and the flesh and sin. We live in a material world where we walk by sight, and God exists in the unseen. And sometimes he's maddeningly silent, and we can't hear from him when we long to. But the truth is there. He loves us, and he wants to be in relationship with us, and he invites us to live this adventure called a life of faith. I'd like to tell the story about a time when I was struggling to trust God, i.e., I wasn't worshiping God. It was really one of those difficult seasons in life. It was back in 2004, and I was transitioning out of my role as the president of a missions organization, an international church planting organization. And I decided that this season of my life, I was heading back to the marketplace. Now, you can imagine the insecurity that I felt. I'd started there and was doing well there, but I had been out of the game uh, on the the for-profit side for 17 years. And I had my doubts. Would my skill set transfer? Would anybody believe that I could uh, work well in that world? And so I went about the hard work of preparing my resume and starting to make phone calls and doing my networking and and those sorts of things. All the while, I'm watching the severance package that I have. The time is ticking, and there's not much money coming left. And Jill and I didn't have a big reserve to fall back on. And I started to feel anxious. I started to just, in fact, there was a cloud of discouragement that just kind of hung over me. And it was about Christmas time, so not much activity going on in the job market. Well, one day I got a call from a friend, and it was my buddy up in Michigan, and and he said, Jeff, I ran into this executive placement guy at the airport, of all things, and I told him about you, and he said that he would like to represent you and help you to find uh, a placement. And upon hearing that news, because I was really struggling that morning, I remember having the phone in my left hand, and I was pumping my fist, just, yes, oh, that's so awesome, thanks, Mike, this is great. And, And when I hung up the phone, I had this overwhelming, foreboding sense of guilt. And I just literally slunk down into my chair, put my head in my hands, and I said out loud, Lord, I'm so sorry. In that moment, I saw something. I was putting my trust in this guy who I had never seen before. I couldn't tell you his name five minutes after the phone call. And I was trusting that he was going to be able to find me a job. And here, my God, who died for me, who has promised to care for my every need, who's promised to walk me through life, I didn't have faith. Why? Because I could see it in my emotions that he was going to care for me. And I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I see it. So I pulled out my computer, and I, I wrote an engagement letter with God. It was a real simple letter, Clause 1, you're God, and I trust that you're going to provide for me and all of my needs. Clause 2, I'm going to wake up every day, work hard, and go after the thing you put in front of me. Printed it off, signed the doggone thing. And I said, Lord, thank you. That day, it was still a long road. It took a while to find the job, but something profoundly changed in me. I no longer was walking in this world where I was carrying this burden. I saw God in the relationship that he invited me into, and sure, living a life of faith can be scary. It's an adventure, folks. But man, did it make a difference. It was a game changer in my soul. That's worship. That's what greed attacks. 
It wants God out of the picture. It wants you to trust yourself. It wants you to trust your stuff. And what gets robbed, and this is the tragedy, is you experiencing God. He wants better for us. Wouldn't you agree? And so I just want you to think about that this week. You see, material possessions make for a horrible God. God is so good, and he's good all the time. And so I got a little assignment for you this week. I want you to go into the garden of your soul, and I want you to look behind some of the virtues. And I want you to ask before God, are there any weeds in here? Is there any greed in here, God, that you want to take care of? And I want to invite you to come back next week, and I want to teach you what the Bible says on how to pull the weed called greed. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for your word. Thank you so much, Lord, uh, for the truth of scriptures as we live this life that you've called us into, Lord, uh, a life of faith uh, that isn't always easy, but it is always abundant, uh, Lord, because we get to experience you. We get to wrestle uh, and grow deeper with you. And Lord, your motive for us to grow in these areas, these virtues of character, and to eliminate the vices in our character is for our own good and for the sake of others. It's not that you need anything from us, God. You just long in your goodness toward us and your pure love towards us for us to experience you and the life you've given us to the full. And Lord, we can do that when we live a life that's secure in you, when we find our significance in you alone. And Lord, when we enter into the thing you created us for to be people of worship, help us, Lord, to grow in those virtues. In Christ's name, amen.